freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, November 4th, 2012. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 to 6 p.m. Central. We have a good show lined up for you here today. I'm going to be introducing some material regarding solutions to the problems that humanity is facing in consciousness and the and to help to rectify the brain imbalance amongst the human population that is resulting in a horrific loss of human freedom globally. And that's what we have been talking about over the past many months is solution-oriented approaches. We covered all of the problems over the first year and a half that I did this show, and we're going to continue to be talking about solutions as we proceed. Today's show could be considered quite controversial because one of the solutions that I'm going to be getting into today is the employment in a responsible way and in a way that is conscious and in a way that is respectful of oneself of entheogenic compounds or what I would call spirit helpers, spirit guide helpers that are of the natural plant kingdom. People know these as psychedelics. And this is going to be some introductory material to psychedelics or what has come to be called entheogens uh, today on the show. So um, if we have time, we will get to some calls later in the show, but I'll give the call-in number. Uh, if, again, if we have time, we'll take some calls in the second hour. The call-in number for the show, toll-free, is 866-841-1065. Once again, the call-in number, 866-841-1065. Before we jump into the material for today, I do have a couple of quick event announcements. Of course, the Free Your Mind conference coming up here in the city of Philadelphia, April 25th, 26th, and 27th of 2013. 
a three-day conference featuring top caliber whistleblowers from across the country who will shed light upon our world's problems and bring forward empowering solutions. This unique event will build upon the success of the first Free Your Mind conference with a continued focus to spread awareness on the topics of consciousness, mind control, subversive occult influences, holistic body, mind, spirit, health, and solution-oriented approaches to the problems humanity faces in these challenging times. The Free Your Mind 2 conference will be taking place at the Arch Street Meeting House, 320 Arch Street in Philadelphia. The doors will open at 8 o'clock a.m. on each day with the program beginning at 9 o'clock a.m. on each day. Featured speakers include Alan Steinfeld, Alfred Weber, Andrew Bashago, Ben Stewart, Bob Tuscan, Kathy O'Brien, Curtis Davis, Dr. Dream, Freighter X, Freeman Fly, Jan Irvin, Jay Parker, Jim Fetzer, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Lennon Honor, Lorraine Moray, Mark Passio, Mark Phillips, Randall Carlson, Ross Ben, and Sonia Barrett. And we will probably be adding two additional names to that lineup to bring the speaker total to 24 speakers. So those uh, couple of uh, last-minute speakers will be announced shortly as we confirm them. But the, the uh, lineup is looking absolutely incredible so far. The advanced ticket prices are $30 for the conference on Thursday, $20 for the Thursday meet-and-greet with the speakers, including a vegetarian meal, and possibly including a music event. We are working on that as well. And I'll be announcing that if we can get it confirmed over the next week or so. The Friday conference, $40, and the Saturday conference, $40. For all three days, plus the meet and greet and possibly the musical event, again, once that is confirmed, $120. For more speaker information, speaker bios, and ticket information, please visit the website for the conference at www.freeyourmindconference.com. I've been telling people for the last several weeks the best way that you can help and support this conference is with an advanced ticket sale. Get your tickets in advance. You'll save some money instead of buying them at the door. And you are, will be helping if you buy them now. If you buy them in advance, you will be really helping us to offset the tremendous costs associated with bringing all these speakers from all over the country. Travel is very expensive. It is not cheap. Lodging is very expensive. It is not cheap. We're putting a lot of money into bringing all of these people together. That's what a conference is. That's what makes it different than any other kind of event. It means, the word conference means to bring together. This is about bringing people together to help build upon their knowledge base and activate them, get them motivated, have them activate their will to go out and spread this awareness to other people. That's what the entire event is all about. So uh, we tried to make it as reasonably priced as possible. And the best way that people can support this event is to pick up your tickets in advance. Uh, go to the website and you'll get information on how you can do that. I, I've been telling people an advanced ticket sale is better than a donation to the event. It will really help us, uh, again, to bring all of these speakers into town. The second event announcement I have is the ad-free chip-in for the What on Earth is Happening radio show. Stands at $200. We need to raise $1,000 by January 31st in order to keep the show 
commercial free through the February, March, April period. So please keep the kind donations coming for that purpose. Um, it's been very successful so far. But again, if we don't raise the required amount by January 31st, the show will go back to having ads. So we don't want that to happen. So uh, please continue to support the What on Earth is Happening radio show, and let's keep it commercial-free during the two hours of the show. I also want to say how the last couple of days have gone with promotion for the Free Your Mind event. I told people last week that... I would be going to the Mind Body Spirit Expo event here in Philadelphia this weekend to do some promotion for the Free Your Mind conference. And I have to be honest about what I saw at the Mind Body Spirit event. There was a lot of nice, well-meaning people that turned up, but overall, I feel that this event is entirely about money and about just, you know, vending items to people as opposed to really reaching out to people and teaching them something powerful and transformative. Now, not, that's not to take away from the speakers that did do presentations and, event, um, and events and uh, had a lot of information to share, but I feel that it's way, way too leaning toward... Um, just the positive and not talking about, not exposing the negative. And that's typical of the New Age movement, as I've talked about in the past. But overall, you see this total hard sell on a lot of what the vendors have to present and, and uh, try to sell you there. And it really was about product placement and, you know, getting sales in. And a lot of these items, too, are way overpriced in addition to uh, some of them of questionable usage. But I do think that the people are well-meaning and are into what they're talking about. But overall, I think the event is um, way too in the new agey category for, for my liking. There were some people there who do understand the dark side of things and are working to try to bring some awareness to that and bring some balance to that. But for... Um, for the, the amount of speakers that they have, if you were to compare the value compared to what something like what we're doing for the Free Your Mind conference, there is no comparison. Uh, only a few speakers for this event, and if you paid to go to all of the events, it would have put you uh, back almost $250 or maybe even more than that. I'm not quite certain about the exact cost of that, but um, for 24 speakers and a uh, nice event at the end of the night on Thursday evening uh, on the first day of our conference. Uh, it's for far less than even half of the price that uh, an event like the Mind Body Spirit Expo was charging. That being said, we did reach out with a whole lot of um, postcards and promoted for the Free Your Mind conference in April. And a lot of people got those and seemed pretty... Um, uh, psyched about a conference of this kind coming into Philadelphia. So I think overall it achieved its goal, but as for the event itself and you know some of the people's mindset at the event, again, to me, it was very commercialized and largely about money, uh, unfortunately. So that's all I really have to say on that. Let's jump into our topic for today, and hopefully if there's time, if I cover all of the material that I want to cover on this topic, uh, we will go to the phones later on in the show. So, as always, with What on Earth is Happening, you can 
visit the radio show page of my website, whatonearthishappening.com, click on the radio show tab, and underneath the player for the show, if you're not already listening there, you will see images for today's show, and there will be listed numerical links that you can click on to bring up a slideshow of related images that go along with the material that I'll be presenting here today on the show. Image number one, of course, was the poster for the Free Your Mind conference, and I'd like to continue to reiterate that anyone that feels like they want to help with the promotion of the conference, we got 5,000 full-color postcards printed to do promotion, but if you want to help do promotion on your own, if you're in the general area, uh, you know, on the east coast of the, of the United States and you want to promote this conference, uh, feel free to print this poster, I put it up there in color, in high resolution. You could print it in whatever format you see fit, full page, half page, color, black and white, doesn't matter. And, you know, hand them out in your area or post them in libraries or coffee shops, etc. So um, that would really help from a grassroots effort to help get the word out about the Free Your Mind 2 conference. The second image is one I've had up on the site for many, many weeks because this entire section of what on earth is happening, of the what on earth is happening radio show, is all about solutions and what I call the way out. It's the way out of the complete prison that we've worked ourselves into uh, as a species because we do not understand how we are effectively creating our own reality, our own experience through our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. The third slide is the grassroots solutions for real, positive, and lasting change that I've been talking about over the past many months. We've covered all of them except the topic for today, which is the use of entheogens in a conscious context. And we'll be talking about what entheogens are, some of the, uh, the words involved in what ha have uh, characteristics that have been ascribed to entheogenic substances. And we'll be talking about what a conscious context is, what that means, because as anyone knows, I am not simply here advocating the use of what people would call illegal drugs. These are no more illegal drugs than Mark Passio is a politician, okay? Um, that's what people who have no understanding of the transformative power of these natural uh, compounds that are contained in these plants are or what they have the ability to do if we commune with them, which is what they're here on the earth for. So I'm not talking about drugs. I would not even call these things drugs. People who call them drugs are ignorant of what they really are. They are consciousnesses here that we can commune with and learn a great deal from about how to be in the world and how to interact with other people. If we use them wisely, if we commune with them wisely. See, use isn't even the, really the proper term. I, I'm going to be talking about the use of these things versus their abuse, their abuse. But that's not even really the proper term either. No more than drugs would be the proper term for what entheogens really are. I would call them, um, again, spirit helpers or they are consciousnesses, and we're not using them so much as we are, we are, yes, we are ingesting the physical substance, but we're doing that in order to commune with a frequency, with a signal. This is a, these are carrier signals. 
that are carrying vast quantities of information in the form of visionary experiences to us if we approach them with great reverence and respect, which is the intent of how to put them to use in our lives or to commune with them. So I want to make that distinction very clear before we even begin. The fourth image on the page introduces the term entheogen, okay, and there is an image there of the Amanita muscaria mushroom. People know it as the narcoleptic mushroom because it's not so much a, an active visionary trance state as something like the psilocybin-containing mushrooms as it is a sleep experience in which there are dream visions communicated to the participant in the in the uh, communication with this uh, helper or guide. It's a very well-known archetypal image, which is why I used it for uh, this section, to introduce this section, because people, you know, basically have seen this image in fairy tales and, and books and things like that. And uh, it's been associated with the, the Christmas season, you know, the red and white colors, uh, been associated with... Um, Santa Claus, etc. Okay, there's a lot of uh, myths that go along hand in hand with with that, with these mushrooms and ancient shamanic cultures that have used them over times, over time. But I used it because it's a familiar archetypal image in people's mind of the red and white capped mushroom. The word entheogen is very revealing, and again, when we break down words and we understand their real etymological meanings we can come to understand what's really being said through the word and why it was constructed that way. And this reveals a great deal. The word entheogen is a rather new word, and it's been proposed by modern researchers to replace the word psychedelic because of some of the negative connotations that psychedelics have picked up due to some of their abuse by people. I think that's still largely fear-mongering the stories of their abuse, uh, and uh, there hasn't been as much widespread abuse of psychedelics, although it does exist. I'm not trying to say that doesn't exist at all. It most certainly does. There are people who will use these compounds unwisely, but um, uh, not nearly um, according to the media hype that is put out there by the mainstream media and people disseminating disinformation uh, as part of a fear tactic to get people not to look into this material, okay? But um, slide number five shows the breakdown of the word entheogen, again, proposed as a kind of replacement, a, a more accurate definition of what these things really are um, versus psychedelic. I personally prefer the term psychedelic even to entheogen, but I like the word entheogen as well because I think it explains it uh, very uh, fittingly once you understand what the word means through its etymological breakdown. So slide number five breaks down the word into its etym etymology. Uh, E-N, N, the root N in the Greek language means within. This is a prefix that means within. Okay, so that begins entheogen. Theo, the part of uh, the word theo comes from the Greek language as well, which is theos. Theos means God or the divine, okay? So the heavenly, the godly, the divine, okay? Then the last word, the last piece of the word gen comes from the Greek, from Latin, excuse me, genere. Genere means to create, okay? So we put them all together and we have 
create divine within. So entheogens are helpers that can help us to create the divine within us. And I would say the word genere isn't even as appropriate. It sounds very good, but we're not really creating the divine within as so much as we are rediscovering it or revealing it. It's already there. That spark of the divine is already present. It may just be completely covered up by all the worldview poisoning, the dirt, the grime that we have uh, accumulated you know, through the mass conditioning since we've come out of the womb, basically. And uh, we're not, as a, as a uh, species, the majority of the human population is not expressing that divinity within them. It is completely covered up and suppressed. So what I think entheogens do very effectively if they're used properly, if they're put to use properly, is to reveal the divine within. Okay? So I think that would even be a better way of putting what they do as opposed to creating it. It's not really creating anything new or that's not already there. It's kind of wiping away all of the grime and dirt and showing you what is already there, revealing the divine within. So, uh, image number six on the slides, if you're following at the whatonearthishappening.com radio page, um, breaks down the word psychedelics. Psychedelics are what people have traditionally been calling these substances, compounds, guides, helpers, however you want to look at it, um, for many, many years, probably uh, for decades, since probably about the uh, 1950s, I, I think the term was coined then, I'm not exactly sure, but um, of course we've known about these compounds, uh, generally calling them hallucinogens, for you know over a hundred years, but uh, the word psychedelics, I believe, was coined in the 1950s, if I'm not mistaken. Somebody may correct me on that, it may be earlier than that. But let's break down the word into its etymology, which is the first part of the word psychedelic is psyche. Okay, the word psyche means in Greek mind. That's where we get the word psi, the prefix psi, like psychology, study of the mind, psyche. Psyche means the mind. And then the verb in Greek delun means to make clear. Okay, or in other words, to wipe away what, what is already obscuring something, to get all the dirt and grime out of the way, and to reveal what is underneath it. That's delune. Okay, so it means to make clear. So what we're doing is we're changing the mind. We're making the mind clear. We're getting rid of things. Psychedelics, entheogens, are things that are purgative. They get rid of things that we are attached to that are doing harm to us through our attachment to these uh, erroneous and irrational beliefs and um, mental attachments. The fundamental axioms that are completely untrue and are harmful that we have become attached to through mind control, psychedelics can help us to make our mind clear of them to clear the mind, okay, to, in other words, basically reset us back to what we should be, which is 
someone who is open-minded. So I would say they open, they make the mind clear by opening it to possibility. It is, it is, if they are employed properly, they can help us to heal worldview. And that's what this section goes also hand in hand with, is the healing of worldview. And we talked about what is a very powerful aspect of the healing of worldview when we did the worldview healing section as part of the solutions. We talked about shamanism and what shamanism is. Well, shamans traditionally have employed and used and helped others to responsibly use these entheogenic compounds, these psychedelics, throughout time. You know, uh, we have been calling them these names, okay, for only a couple of decades, a few decades in human history, but these actual plant helpers have been here with us for as long as we have been here. They have just been on the earth. Nature provides these for this function to help make our mind clear they are healing agents. That's what they really are if they're properly understood. Again, for anybody that thinks that these are quote-unquote drugs, and even worse, quote-unquote illegal drugs, and should remain as such, and not be studied, and not be uh, used in a respectful and conscious context, you have no idea what you're talking about. Plain and simple. Straightforward, just telling you right to your face. You have zero idea what you're talking about. You don't know what they are, regardless of whether you may even have experience or have heard of someone else's experience with them, because you're only reacting to a fraction of what these things are totally about. And not seeing the bigger picture, the biggest part about what they are about is the transformative possibility that they hold if they are, again, used wisely and respectfully. That's largely due to people buying into a particular worldview and listening to poisoned mainstream propaganda in the form of mainstream media and or reading one small thing or accepting the uh, quote-unquote authoritative um, uh, information that comes out of uh, medical literature or um, even worse, politicians' mouth or lawmakers' mouths, Okay. I'm going to get into in the second part of the show the issues of self-ownership that go along with the exploration of the self through these substances and how that is the only thing that should have any bearing on whether anyone uses them or not. There's no other consideration uh, as to the legality of these things. Um, and so people will say, well, are you advocating that people break the law? Yes, I would say I am advocating that because that is an unjust, immoral law that assumes the ownership of yourself. Because if someone claims to, that you may not put something into your body, they're claiming ownership of your body. And I say that that should be wholly rejected at all turns. You don't own me, you don't own my body, you don't determine what goes into it. The end. The end. And that's the only consideration that exists when it comes to any compound. Whether it be a particular kind of food, raw milk, cheap, you know, whatever. Um, any substance, if I want to go and take some lye and, and drink it down with some water, then that's my business because it's my body. And somebody may not say, oh, you may not do that. Why? 
That's a, that's a claim on your own body. So we'll be getting into that and how that is slavery by definition uh, as we look at this issue. To get back to the breakdown of you know, what these things are and what they can do for us, um, ultimately we're talking about real sacraments. That's what they are. This is, these are the active sacraments of old, the active sacraments of ancient communication, not religions, but direct gnosis communications with otherworldly realms. That's what these things are. This is where religion came from as it became watered down and the direct gnosis, the direct experience, the direct knowledge from these realms was began to be removed and, and said, this is off limits for you, humanity, and now there will be a priest class that will commune with the realm of the divine, and we will tell you what its dictates are, and we will tell you, you know, um, you know what it wants of you, because this was all about control. So shamans that had once helped people navigate the landscape of the self through these substances became degraded and became sorcerers, and eventually that they just became the common everyday priest, the priest class. The ones who still maintain connections like this with these otherworldly realms through a lot of psychedelics uh, and antheogenic compounds have become the dark priest class. At the highest levels of the occult, if you don't think that they're working with these substances and as a mechanism of control in the wrong way, because again, this can be done to properly help people to navigate the waters of the, of the spirit, to properly help, uh, help them to come to a greater understanding of the self, and as any other tool, which is ultimately what these things are, Yes, it's, they're spirits in and of themselves, but again, we can employ them in a particular way in which you could look at them as a tool set, and that's how certain shamans will look at them as. And these tools can be used for ill as well if they're not used wisely, and if there's a level of ego into which uh, this priest class is taking these substances from. So I would say that is absolutely what has happened. And if you look at the dark side of the occult today, this priest class absolutely works with these compounds and tries to keep them off limits for other people because they're keeping that, um, they're, they're, they're intellectual in the sense that they, these tools have helped them to gain great knowledge, but they're still not holistically intelligent because they're using them for a completely immoral reason, which is to control other people as opposed to help to enlighten other people. So we have to understand that the higher levels of the occult, this is w one of the tools in their tool set as well. But that is not to say that the tools are bad in and of themselves. If they are used for the right reasons, again, they can be powerfully transformative of the mind and they can help to affect great healing as far as our worldview goes. And I will tell you this, before we move on with some of the breakdown of some of these uh, words that are related to psychedelics, had I not employed entheogens in my awakening process, 
I don't think I would have come out of the dark and poisoned worldview that I did emerge from, and I would not have started exposing all of the elements of the dark occult, and it may be possible that I may even still be of that mindset and still working with those elements had I not employed the help and the guidance of entheogens, psychedelics. I greatly attribute my own awakening process to the employment in a knowledgeable and respectful way, in a conscious context, and again, we'll be talking about more about what that means um, in my own past. Had I not employed that in my own past, I probably would not be here doing what I'm doing, uh, exposing the dark occult and the mind control techniques and the solutions that we can employ to free ourselves from all of this darkness and negativity in which we find ourselves. So in that respect, they were, for me, true sacraments, true sacraments. Again, the religions controlled by this priest class who is still directly assessing these realms through these substances detaches humanity from them so it can't receive the balance that they can provide. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the next slide, how they do bring us to a, a center point or a balance point and act as a, a true medicine. And they become the priest class that is now giving people proxies in the form of sacraments. Well, here, dr take this inert bread. You know, take some unleavened bread and receive it as a sacrament. It's not going to do anything to your mind. It's all about your belief in it. You know, t drink this wine, this sip of wine, and take that in as a sacrament, but it's not really going to do anything to you. And these are all symbolic analogs for what was really once done, taking a small amount of a substance, eating it, and it transforming you, drinking a small amount of liquid, and it transforming your mind, giving you a visionary experience, helping you to commune at a deeper level with yourself and with the divine energies that are all around you. And now it has been turned into a proxy of itself. Now you're receiving an inert sacrament as a part of religion. And the priest class, the real priest class, even controlling the other believers you know, who have become priests and are giving this to you know the uh, the unknowing, giving it to the even deeper unknowing. Okay, you know the the real priest class controlling whole religion at the top, which is our dark occultists, are laughing at people, laughing hysterically. They find this completely and utterly amusing and hysterical, because they're saying, look, we're giving people what once was their birth birthright as a proxy. We're not giving them the real thing, we're giving them the fake thing and telling them it's the real thing. You know, and to commune with uh, these other realms as our human birthright, that's been removed and legislated away by people who actually believe they can do that and other idiots who then go and follow them, follow their orders and will, will uh, arrest people and put them in cages and try to take their freedom away because of something that is their natural right and their birthright. So, you know, for anybody that's listening involved in law enforcement, probably no one like, th like that probably listens to my show, and I know that that's a, a generalization that I'm making, but I feel anyone that's actively involved in that task is completely and utterly asleep, whether they will admit that or not, that's the case, and probably can't hear anything I'm saying because they're so deep in the trance, so deep in the mind control, you know, and if they got hit with a really 
big dose of something like what I'm going to, some of the substances I'm going to talk about today, maybe that would show them, you know, a different aspect of themselves and show them an aspect of truth that they completely continuously resist in this world because they just love following orders and they just love listening to, uh, psychopaths who t who tell them what to do and then these people who follow them believe they're real men somehow when they're little infant boys that don't have a, a lick an ounce of courage in their entire lives and probably never will and dare to think they own somebody else's body and they're going to go break somebody's door down for for you know smoking in a plant or taking some natural substance that grows in the earth the nerve of you is all I have to say. The nerve of you to think you ever have the right to do that. I would say the nerve of anybody to ever believe that anybody has the right to, to do that to another human being. Now, again, I'm going to talk about the responsible usage. I have talked about health extensively on this show. And I would never say do something that pollutes the body. That's not what this is about. This isn't about abuse. As with anything, you can abuse it. Can these be abused? I would say yes, they can. Some of them are, would be very difficult to abuse because of the, the power involved in them, and many people would not start you know, doing them at a, uh, you know, an insane pace or dosage because of you know, what some of the experiences would become like. So I would say they're probably the most difficult thing to abuse when it comes to any substance. But can they be abused? Yes, it is possible to abuse them, okay? Especially if you're approaching it in the wrong way for why you should be using it in the first place. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in the form of escapism. Okay, but to go back to um, the fact that anybody listening, if you still think that this isn't a natural right of man to explore his own consciousness and to learn more about himself and the realm that he's operating in, you yourself are sick. I don't know how much clearer I can put it. You are ill. It's not even that you're just wrong. You're wrong and you are sick. And you yourself would benefit from an experience with these compounds because you're, the sickness that you have is worldview poisoning. You are damaged inside. Your brain is damaged. Your soul is damaged. And I'm not going to give it you know, sweetly to you on a baby spoon or with a little milk bottle. I'm going to tell you you're ill and you need this. That's what shamans of old simply would have done. They're not going to baby spoon feed people into this. They're going to tell you, here's what's wrong with you. Do something about it or continue to be sick and create damage, not only yourself, but other people around you. And then you're going to live in that experience. See, you're, you're, you think you're going to be isolated from it somehow, that you're separate and you're not. You're not separate from it. People who would continue to advocate the prohibition of any substance. You know, I, I talked to people about prohibition of alcohol here in the United States in the 1920s. Well, when it wasn't prohibited, before prohibition laws passed, well, it was looked at as okay. Well, okay, that's a moral activity, and you're allowed to put alcohol in the body if you want. Then prohibition laws are passed, and suddenly the people who were doing that yesterday are going to be jailed for it, and their freedom taken away. So how is something being illegal, how does something being illegal, legal or illegal, make it moral or, or immoral? It does not. That's the answer. It's just the arbitrary dictates of a psychopath who thinks they're God. 
telling people what they can and can't do. Which has, it has nothing to do with whether it is right or wrong. Because if you're doing it to yourself and there's no one else involved with it, you have the right to do it. The end. Because it's not affecting other people. But if you're doing it, like let's say if I was taking LSD, okay? If I took a hit of LSD, that's my right. No one has the right to tell me I may not do that or to possibly do harm to me for doing it. Now, if I want to ask, if I had LSD and wanted to ask somebody else if they wanted to participate in it and they said yes and they took it from me or even if I sold it to them at a specific price, that's also a right, a human right because it's a non-coercive contract being made by two people and that person has the right to engage in it and I have the right to give it to them or to sell it to them. Whether anybody believes that or not is irrelevant. That's the truth. That's the case. Unwaveringly until the end of time. And get over it if you think otherwise. It's, you're wrong. You're wrong and sick if you don't know definitively that that's a human right. Okay? So people will start bringing up the you know, completely extreme situations. Do you give it to children? You know, oh, what about people who will give this to kids? Well, of course, it's not right to give it to children who don't know how to navigate these realms. You would teach them. You would prepare them for that if they were going to do it. And then they should make that decision on their own, not be forced into it necessarily. You know, the whole point here is freedom of choice. I get to choose what I put in my body. Someone who has some discernment chooses what they put into their body. And then the other rationale goes, well, people are going to do, do drugs and then they're going to do harm to other people as a result. Well, then you need to gauge them or you need to treat them accordingly based upon their action, not whether the, they were on some kind of a substance when they performed the action. See, if you take a substance and then go do something harmful, you did something harmful. You didn't know yourself enough to know what your limits or capabilities were during taking a substance of any kind, whether it be alcohol, cocaine, heroin, it doesn't make a difference. Psychedelics, large amounts of sugar, it doesn't make a difference. Red Bull, you know. What you do based on what you had in your body, what you had in your body is not, does not have necessarily any direct repercussion on what you chose to do. Yeah, your judgment may have been impaired, but you need to be responsible for that because you need to take personal responsibility for the act. If you drank and then you went and killed somebody because you drank too much, then that's your responsibility. It has nothing to do with your right to put what you want into your own body. The two things are separate, and people think that they're somehow completely connected. They're not connected. Whether you do an action on something or off of something, you know, on a particular compound or off of a particular compound, you did the action and you need to be held responsible for the action. Okay? People blaming this all on just whatever compound somebody may have ingested is nonsense. Now, again, taking the substance and then going operating machinery, you're placing other people at harm, in harm's way. So I wouldn't advocate, again, and this is all part of set and setting, which we're also going to talk about. I would never advocate taking something like this and trying to operate in normal 
um, society, especially if you're going to be responsible for operating a piece of equipment or machinery. That would be utterly irresponsible and immoral. And of course, you shouldn't be taking this and then go going and driving or taking this and, you know, going to work and or, you know, taking psychedelics and then trying to, you know, care for the treatment of others like in a healthcare profession or something like that. You know, while while the experience is happening, you don't you want to be in your fully functional state of consciousness, not in a visionary state while you're interacting in a, a capacity that entails responsibility. You know, that doesn't mean that you should outlaw the substance and say nobody may do them because there's a potential for a chaotic outcome when people interact on these with other people. Absolutely not. That still is your right. And if you do something harmful, you need to be held to account as an individual according to your own personal responsibility. So I hope that clears that up as well. Okay? So, again... Anybody who's advocating that this is not a human right, you don't know what you're talking about, and your worldview is completely poisoned, probably because you watch too much mainstream media and you believe in things like man's law, you know, out of telling people what's moral or immoral. So, like, to go back to the example of prohibition, suddenly prohibition, uh, alcohol consumption and sales went from being moral to being immoral, and now people can be have their freedom taken as a result of participating in that activity. Well, either the activity is moral or it's immoral. There's no in-between. Either it is a right or it's not a right. Man does not get to make up what rights are. You cannot create a right. Rights are self-existing. They're inherent to creation. The creator in created right and wrong. Rights. Okay? It, has, it is inherent to the universe. That's what rights are. Man didn't make them. Man cannot make new ones. Man cannot unmake rights. Cannot take rights away that already exist. Oh, the, the, the diseased psyche of man believes he can do that, but it never actually occurs in point of fact reality, which is different than the diseased distortional thinking, uh, the, uh, the um, constructs that exist in a completely diseased brain. That has abs one has nothing to do with the other. And I'm talking about the actual moral right to do something based upon moral right and wrong is inherent. So it is a right for me to consume alcohol. It is a right for me to say, I'm going to give this other adult human being alcohol if they want it. That's a right. The same thing applies to any substance, any compound doesn't make a difference what it is. I don't I think injecting heroin would probably be one of the worst decisions anybody could possibly make, but I would die for their right to do it. I would die for a junkie's right to inject heroin into their arm. I would protect that right by whatever amount of force is required to protect it. And unfortunately, not enough people are willing to step up and do that to take that action, to even agree that that's right to do, to protect someone else's right to put what they want in their own body, because they're trapped by fear, fear, all about what might happen, the fear of chaos, and this is, again, this is part of what I'm going to talk about at the Free Your Mind conference, the fear of chaos is what's keeping humanity enslaved, the possibility for chaos has to be embraced, 
without embracing chaos itself, you need to embrace the possibility for chaos. Otherwise, you cannot be free. So I tell people, hey, drink as much as you want. Do as many drugs as you want. It's your body. You're harming it if you don't use it, if you abuse it. Okay, But if you go and start harming others, then it becomes everybody else's business. That's where it's no longer about a right because you've engaged now in a wrongdoing. The, the understanding according to natural law. Taking a substance, everyone has a right. Doing an action that causes harm, you don't have a right to do. So you need to gauge the action that the person is doing to know whether it is a right or not a right. If I take a whole bunch of psilocybin mushrooms, that is my right. If while on the substance, I go and damage someone else's property or hurt them, that is not one of my rights. And I would need to be judged based upon the action that I took that harmed someone else. Not that I happened to do it with a substance in my body. That has nothing to do with, and again, I would say there would be no excuses if you're drunk and impaired and you go and shoot and kill somebody, that's on you. You did the action. If you weren't responsible enough to be able to rein in your action because your judgment was impaired because of what you put into your body, that's on you. And people need to understand this and make the discernment, make the, the understanding between the two things. So anybody that believes in prohibition, first of all, you've got to look at how it doesn't work anyway. Look into law enforcement against prohibition, LEAP, who I feel doesn't go far enough because they never talk about the self-ownership issue. But, um, you know, look at why they're telling you that, that all forms of prohibition don't work. You know, and you need to look deeper than that at the moral issue involved, that you can't make something immoral one day, and then, then you're going to repeal that law, and it becomes moral again. Either it was moral to begin with, or it was immoral to begin with. And if you understand it has nothing to do except with anything except self-ownership, then you understand the putting of any substance into the body, no matter what it is, is moral. Which means it is within the parameters of right under natural law. It is a right. And no, nothing anybody can ever say or has ever said from the dawn of time until the end of creation will ever change that or make it a different way. That is the case. That is the truth. That is the, simply the way it is. So I don't know how much more definitive and 100% I can be about that. And the, the proof is in the understanding of rights. And you, some people say, well, what proof do you have of that? The proof of the objective knowledge of the difference between right and wrong is the proof. The understanding of natural law is the proof of that statement, that it is true and will eternally be true. So, to go back to psychedelics or entheogens as sacraments, as active sacraments, we can break down the word sacrament. This comes from two Latin words and I'm on slide number seven now, the etymology of sacrament. Sacrum in Latin means holy, sacred, like the divine. Sacrum, it would be actually pronounced. Sacrum means holy, sacred, or like the divine. And then we have mente. And again, look at how similar. This is really 
almost the the same as uh, antheogen and psychedelic, if you really think about it, especially antheogen to reveal the divine within. And psychedelics means to make the mind clear, okay, or to unpollute the mind from the, you know, worldview poisoning that it has been infected with, okay? So the word sacrament means from sacrum, holy or sacred, and then mens mente in Latin means mind. The actual uh, first person uh, form, um, I'm sorry, the... uh, uh, stripped down form of the word uh, mente is I think um, the objective or ablative form of the word in Latin but the uh, f- the first form of the noun is mens mens mentis in Latin so mente means mind just like psyche in Greek means mind Okay, so mente is the Latin word for mind. So when we put them together, we have sacred mind, sacred mind, or to make the mind sacred, to make the mind holy, to make the mind resemble the divine. And I would say to make the mind whole, W-H-O-L-E, to make the mind one, because what an active sacrament in the form of antheogens or psychedelics actually do is help to create balance between the two hemispheres of the brain if it is used properly and I would say largely if there is a predominance or predisposition to the left brain hemisphere chronically. These helpers or guides help to bring the mind to balance specifically if it is chronically engaged in left brain modality. So it will help nudge that left brain modality toward the right or toward the center. Now, here's where I would have to um, put out a word of caution to people that if you're already of a too much of a right-brained bent, okay, and you are um, much more in the intuitive or nurturing capacity, but you have a difficult time with uh, concentration or standing up for yourself or um, you know re- grounding in the real world. Then I would say an overabundance of exploration in the psychedelic or entheogenic domain would probably not be a good thing for you. You need to know where you're at before you start engaging in any substance that you're going to put into the human body. You need to know what your limits are. You need to know what your capabilities are. You need to be comfortable with yourself and who you are first. I wouldn't advocate for people who are just completely erect to just dive into this, especially not on your own. You would want a guide or a helper in the physical sense who understands this this map of consciousness a little bit better than you do and can act as a, an assistant to you. And that's not to say turn them into a guru or a priest. That's not what I'm saying at all, or a leader. I'm saying you need to do your own research. You need to do your homework, your own due diligence, and understand what you're going to be doing. Read experience reports. We could talk about all of that in some you know, uh, 
places to do some of that at, some re uh, resources. But this is about largely helping people who are in a left brain mind state to come to a place of balance. So I would say for the right brain among us, you probably would not want to, again, engage chronically in the use of psychedelics. I would say it would be okay for to uh, revisit this as a, a cleansing experience every so often. But if you got into doing it too much, you're going to push yourself toward that extreme form of right brain imbalance, which is lack of grounding in the world. And therefore, it's going to make you ineffectual to do real work here, stay focused, stay, uh, you know, uh, high level of focus or, or energy or concentration to carry out real world tasks, which is very important about this is connected with will. That left brain side is as important as the right brain side. It has to do with getting things done, with engaging the will, with reaching out to others and, you know, holding a, a point of attention and focus. So the right brain among us, I would say, could benefit from the uh, usage of these in a sparing capacity, but the left brain among us would probably benefit in a much greater way from these substances and probably need it more so, much more so, than those who are already uh, um, have characteristics that are largely uh, skewed toward the right brain in their personality already. The left brain need it far more because they're of the dominating type. They're of the completely worldly, with no spiritual vision, with no... Um, uh, open-mindedness toward the spiritual world and therefore these substances can really help them to open their mind and break out of that prison of the left brain which we talked about as one of the big tactics of mind control and uh, helping people to stay in the dominator mindset we'll put this up on the other side you're listening to what on earth is happening we'll be right back after this quick station Okay, folks, we're back. This is the second hour of What on Earth is Happening for this November 4th, 2012 edition. We're talking about entheogens being used in a conscious context as one of the solutions, the grassroots solutions that humanity can employ to come back to a place of balance in consciousness to heal our worldview and get over the problems that we're currently inflicting upon ourselves in our ignorance as a species. So we, we were breaking down some of the words that are associated with amphiogens or psychedelics. They are true sacraments. They are active sacraments as opposed to being inert sacraments, which modern religions offer the, uh, the proxy of a once active sacrament. But moreover, and I would say probably more so than anything else, what these things really are is medicine. True medicine is what these things are. And in the sense that they heal or help us to heal worldview, we have to be open to working with the spirit, to commune with the spirit that we are working with. Okay, We have to be open-minded enough to do that. This isn't about just that 
you take it, it does all the work. You have to take it again in a proper set. So set and setting is something I wanted to touch upon that is often heard regarding the proper respectful employment of entheogens. Set means mindset. It's short for mindset. Your mindset should be prepared. You shouldn't be looking to do this for escapist reasons. And if you're looking to do it as such, very few people get away with that, at least for any length of time that they're going to be working with these things. Yeah, you might get a joyride once or twice, but uh, after that, um, you know, Terrence McKenna described it as, you know, they're there with a clipboard, you know, these, these spirits in the, other, in the other realms that you'll be communicating with. And they're like, you know, got a clipboard saying, well, has he been here before? Uh, why is he doing this? Has he shown any progress in the real world when he goes back? You know, and they're, they're ticking off the check mark boxes on that clipboard. And they're going to give you the, 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 the spirit guides in that, that realm are going to give you the experience that you need if you're using it for the wrong reasons. And that's why it's difficult to get into an abuse pattern with some of these things. I think with some of the synthetics, that is more possible. Um, and we'll talk about cannabis abuse a little bit toward the end of the show too. But in general, some of these things I'm talking about are so powerful and transformative that it's difficult to abuse them. Uh, many would say that uh, um, psychedelic mushrooms don't have an, an abuse profile, nor does dimethyltryptamine, which I'll be talking about as well. But um, I would say with anything, the potential for abuse is there. It all depends on uh, the level of self-knowledge that you're bringing to the table in your approach. And set is part of that. You need to know your own mindset. I wouldn't say if you're you know, in a uh, completely fragile state of emotional, you know, uh, um, upheaval, that it would m may be a good time to do that. I mean, some people think that that is the, the time to do that. Again, you need to know when is uh, the right time as far as your mental preparation and your mental stability goes. For the mentally unstable, I would, wouldn't recommend, you know, using this at all. I would say get your mind to a stable place first by, you know, confrontation with the self. But again, some of these compounds can do that. They do provide confrontation with the self. So you need to try to make your own fully informed decision based on research, based on, you know, not just jumping in and saying, oh, let me just try this, you know, uh, because somebody told me it was cool. You know, that's not what I'm advocating here. I'm advocating doing your own research, understanding what you're going to be ingesting and communicating with, and doing that for a reason that doesn't involve escapism or just wanting a joyride on some substance. That's not what this is about. This is about transforming consciousness for the better, activating oneself, getting to know oneself at a deeper fundamental level, and getting over existential angst about con you know, consciousness ceasing at physical death. I think some of these substances can help one to do that in a very profound way. Dimethyltryptamine certainly helped me to do that in a profound way. I tell people after I commune with uh, that spirit helper, if you will, that that was the end of all my existential angst about consciousness being the cessation, uh, uh, ceasing at physical death, death being the cessation of, of consciousness uh, when the physical body dies. Because there is nothing that could possibly explain the strangeness and the profound um, spiritual connection in that realm um, 
when when you're looking at it from a perspective of uh, consciousness versus the the physical world. So I would say that people really need to have some basis of self-knowledge before jumping in with both feet in the, the water, so to speak. It's not about just going into this blind. And there's a lot of research on the internet. There's a lot of experience reports. You, you want to be familiar with what you're going to be, quote unquote, getting into. Okay? And you want to be going into it again for the right reasons, which is knowing the self even better. Okay? Coming to understand natural law even better. Because these things will put you into touch with what you're doing to others. They will make you empathize. You will be confronted with your own negative behaviors in many cases. They, these um, guides do this in the throes of the experience. I would say um, there's a compound, well, psilocybin certainly will do that. LSD has been known to uh, put somebody through the rigors of self-psychoanalysis as well. Iboga has that potential as well, an African um, entheogen. So if someone isn't ready to confront themselves, I would say these are substances which most people will want to steer clear from. Again, and that's many people's take on them. Wow, that really made me confront my own shit. You know, so I don't want to go anywhere near that again. A lot of people have that, that experience the first time and then they never want to go back and, and go for another spin. Luckily, I, that wasn't my case. Uh, I, I did uh, some, I had some experiences where it was really making me look at my own worldview and how I was completely mistaken. And I went back and re repeated the experience over and over. You know, so it's a level of courage is involved, especially if you go to higher dosages with some of these substances. Because it can get into deep waters, uncomfortable places. DMT is about as strange as it gets. I mean, to me, that's about as far as you can go and still maintain any connection to the physical world at all. You know, still, still come back to the body. You know, some people express amazement at coming back to the physical body after the uh, immersive DMT experience. We'll talk about that a little in a, in a little bit, but I wanted to do, uh, continue to talk about how these things are truly medicines. They are true medicines because they can help to bring the brain back to a point of balance and to heal worldview. That's what they're healing. That's the illness that they're healing. If you're open-minded to that healing, you have to be open to it and you have to work with them. It's not like one and done. It's not like you do one of these substances once or commune with these substances one time and then you're going to be healed immediately. That's not how they work. Okay? It's about revisiting that realm and working in that realm and confronting yourself when you are not on that compound and, you know, uh, after it drops you back down, it takes you up the elevator and drops you back down on the ground floor. And, and, and so now you know where your work is, what your work is to do upon yourself. 
That's how it's been described by many researchers. You know, it doesn't take you up to the top floor and just leave you up there. It takes you up to the top floor in the elevator. It sh opens up the doors, show you, shows you what's up there, and then it says, that's what you have to work toward, closes the doors, drops you back down on the first floor, and, lets, and kicks you out of the elevator and says, now go and do the work to get up there on your own. That's, my, that's the best way I would have to describe what entheogens, psychedelics, uh, true sacramental medicines really are. They show you what your work is to do, but you have to do it yourself. This isn't a crutch. Anybody that thinks that this is a crutch, you're sorely mistaken. Anybody that thinks this is, this is all about a joyride, joy you're so sorely mistaken. This is about a tool through which you need to do work. That's what entheogens are actually about if they're used properly for those who know what their intended use is and yes there is an intended use i hear people say i can use them however i want well yeah you can you could use a hammer however you want to it doesn't mean it's always going to be in a wise capacity yeah you have the freedom to go and abuse them but good luck with that let me know how that works out for you especially with things as powerful as what i'm talking about okay so Medicine, let's break down this word. It comes from Latin, two Latin words. Many people have never looked into the etymology of the word medicine, and it's fascinating when you do so. True medicine, okay, which is what entheogens are. The word medicine comes from the Latin, medi, which means the middle, the center, or the point of balance. The middle, the center, or the point of balance, medi in Latin, M-E-D-I. And then C-I-N-E, the second part, comes from the Latin sinus, sinus, uh, as most people would pronounce it. In Latin, it would actually be pronounced kinus. Kinus means ruin or destruction. Ruin or destruction. So let's think about this for a minute. Medi kinus, right? To bring ruin to a place of balance, to bring destruction to a point of balance, back to the middle, back to the center, to bring devastation or destruction back to the center. From the, from the total extremes that aren't assisting us or helping us, back to balance. So from either, you know, particularly what they're talking about is left brain imbalance. You know, but medicine can bring one back from, in the, in the, in the case of psychedelics or entheogens. Medicine in general can bring you back from either right brain imbalance, left brain imbalance, different forms of bodily energetic imbalances. It's about bringing ruin back to a place of balance, back to the middle, back to the center, from the imbalance that led to the destruction. So a very interesting etymology of the word medicine in and of itself that many people do not know. So let's talk about what some of these medicines are and how they have been used traditionally in shamanic cultures, by shamanic cultures, to do worldview healing, to assist in worldview healing. One of the most known entheogens, which many people will not categorize as an entheogen, I certainly would, is cannabis. The two main forms of cannabis being cannabis sativa and cannabis indica. Cannabis sativa, uh, this is you know, more commonly known as marijuana. Um, it's a, a family, it's the, the cannabis is within the hemp family, 
and this is um, you know commonly known as pot, weed, marijuana, a million other names. Okay, but cannabis sativa and indica are the two main varieties of cannabis which contain THC or tetrahydrocannabinol, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the active psychoactive ingredient in cannabis. The sativa variation of the plant will give an, uh, an energetic change in consciousness or an energetic high. It will um, basically put you more into an active modality where you will want to do things or be up, awake, aware, you know, um, during the experience. The, the indica variation, again, and it's very rare to even find a 100% strain uh, without any, because a lot of hybridization has occurred with these plant uh, species over time. So there, there is almost in, invariably a blending between the sativa and indica uh, varieties, but uh, the indica if it is much more of an indica um, strain or hybrid, uh, will produce more of a body effect and a um, calming effect uh, or a down type of effect than the sativa variety. Um, this plant in general has been demonized for reasons that are very understandable if you know the real reasons why they're demonized. This substance can help one to transform their worldview, heal many physical illnesses, not necessarily in the smoke form, but in if you take a tincture, a tincture of its oil. The oils contained in the plant have very powerful healing properties from a physical point of view, especially when it comes to different forms of cancer. And the dominators want all of this ability through this plant suppressed. Now, if you even look at the variations that don't contain tetrahydrocannabinol or THC, uh, these are powerful building materials because they're so fibrous. They form fibers that can build materials harder than wood or even concrete and at a much che cheaper price. So the corporations that control building materials don't want to see this used. The medical corporations and farm, big pharma don't want to see this medicine used because it would put them largely out of business in their cancer treatment business because it's all about a business. It's all about raking in the dough from sick people, from dying people with their nonsense chemotherapy that is just murdering people uh, and people think it's doing some kind of good when in fact, you know, you got to pray that it, ki it kills the tumor before it kills you because it's totally indiscriminate radiation. But um, the other reason is they don't want people to experience the transformation in consciousness if this substance is used wisely. And again, can it be abused? Can cabinet, uh, cannabis be abused? Absolutely it can. It will probably be an abuse profile that is far less dangerous than something like alcohol or heroin or cocaine or anything like that or crack or you know things like that much harder and more dangerous substances that are totally synthetic we're talking about plants that grow naturally in the earth and you want to get it organically grown if possible not treated with any chemicals because a lot of since it's illegal black markets open up things to all kinds of um, further uh, degradation you know and there's 
uh, very unsavory types in many cases growing this because there's a market for it and you know who knows what they're adding to it or spraying on it so you you do have to be careful for the very reason that it's illegal you go to a place like Amsterdam where it's legal you'll get some of the highest quality strains you know were cared for grown by conscious people and it, it's absolutely amazing what, the the differences that you'll see compared to you know some uh, generic cannabis that is grown in the United States simply for profit by who, who knows what drug cartel down in Mexico or anywhere else. So um, the illegality actually affects the quality all the time. And that, that actually makes, creates more harm that there's prohibition laws passed in, in uh, regard to these substances, making them type 1 compounds even. Uh, you know, they can't even be researched on by the medical community. No, because they don't want people understanding their transformative capability. They don't want that. They're not interested. The dominators are not interested in that. They're interested in keeping people totally in the left brain prison because that's where they can either be controllers for them or become controlled by other people, especially uh, if there's two forms of brain imbalance present toward the left and right side where you believe you can be a controller and you can control other, uh, be controlled by others or answer to others in a hierarchical system. And this form of left and right brain imbalance is highly, highly prevalent when it comes to anybody in the control system thinking that they're you know, the controllers like military and police. Military and police aren't just in left brain imbalance. They're in left and right brain imbalance. I've talked about that many times where they believe they're in charge of somebody else, but they also believe they have to completely answer and follow the orders of someone else. So, you know, wanting to dominate would be left brain imbalance and accepting that someone else gives you orders and you uh, follow them unquestioningly is the ultimate in right brain imbalance. So there's nobody who could probably benefit more from some of these medicines than people in a state of consciousness, or I should say unconsciousness, as people like that. But um, the, the, the substance is suppressed, the plant is suppressed for a reason. They don't want the, the communication, this is communion. That's another word I should have, should have uh, put up as a breakdown, maybe I'll add it afterward. Okay, communion is what these things are. See, that's what we call a sacrament in traditional Christian religion. Uh, the, the sacrament that is given is called communion, which means to come together, okay? And munio munere means to think. So it's bringing thoughts together, okay? It is, it is interaction at a mental level, at the mental plane with this these spirit helpers you're taking the mind into that realm that's why it's called traveling tripping in many cases with some of the substances we'll be discussing you are traveling you're traveling into a different mental domain and you're encountering knowledge information knowledge about the self knowledge about that realm in many cases as with uh, uh, psilocybin-based mushrooms and DMT, you will encounter what would be considered spiritual or non-corporeal entities. And again, you also have to realize you'll be encountering consciousnesses in here. Some people will say these are all aspects of ourself that we simply have to deal with and come to confront and know better. And some will say, oh, they are actual 
this corporate consciousness is in the you know etheric field of energy that exists all around us. I would say both are true. You encounter both aspects of the self, and you probably encounter uh, aspects of um, entities that are do exist around us. But hey, when you understand the unified field of existence, of course it's all one thing, and that is all just consciousness, and it's all aspects of ourselves. Okay, so fear cannot be taken in to this realm. It's difficult because you're you're you'll be encountering encountering strange places, especially at what people call heroic dosages of these compounds. And well, one of the substances that makes travel like that possible is the psychedelic mushroom that contains psilocybin. You see some of these uh, substances uh, that are all natural grow from the earth. I'm not going to talk about any synthetics at all. In my opinion, the stuff that grows in the earth is what we need to commune with. And I, the exception that I would make to that is the extraction of DMT into its actual um, base form. Uh, the uh, concentration of DMT coming out of leaves, grasses, or root barks. Um, I still look at that as a natural psychedelic. People will look at that as a synthetic because it is going through a chemical process to do that but the the uh, alkaloid is simply being removed from the from the plant um, there is a slower form of DMT absorption known as ayahuasca which I'm going to break down as well so uh, let's look at the we talked a little bit about cannabis and it is a entheogen particularly in a higher dosage I would say it can produce a similar uh, mental effect and a similar immersive effect as something like um, LSD, if, especially if it is consumed as opposed to being smoked. Um, that's why many people will uh, bake it into cookies or brownies, etc., and eat it. Uh, it definitely has a more powerful effect when uh, consumed orally uh, into the, directly into, into the, uh, um, the, the stomach and gut than it would if smoked. So, um, we looked at cannabis a little bit. Let's look at psilocybin-containing mushrooms. Psilocybin produces a, when ingested, and again, mushrooms usually taken either in smaller dosages up to about, you know, maybe the five, six, seven gram region of dried 50 gram, 50 to 60 gram region if they are still fresh, very high dosage would produce an effect almost similar to the dimethyltryptamine experience, but would last um, several hours. Um, psilocybin and DMT are chemical cousins, very similar indole ringed molecules. Okay, um, and the if you look at the chemistry of these compounds, they're very very simple. They're not very um, complex molecules. The DMT molecule only 20 atoms, I believe. The uh, psilocybin. Um, molecule which is four phosphorylated DMT um, is very simple and the molecule the molecular complexity would not account for the uh, variety and strangeness of experiences that is that is encountered during them so people say well when you engage these compounds how do you know you're just not making up the experience with your own mind well that's a question that obviously is asked by someone who has not experienced some of these realms that I'm referring to. Now, with cannabis, you probably won't get into any kind of a deep, immersive, otherworldly realm.
but certainly with a high enough dosage of psilocybin-containing mushrooms such as uh, psilocybe cubensis and others, you most certainly would. So um, psilocybin mushrooms are what are traditionally called magic mushrooms very much differ from the mushroom that I depicted in the um, uh, the background of the word breakdowns and on the introductory slide for entheogens. That is the Amanita muscaria mushrooms, which mushroom which greatly differs from the psilocybin containing variety. Uh, if you are going to attempt uh, to commune with the mushroom in general, please be sure to most certainly know the difference between these two forms of mushrooms, especially if you are going to um, perhaps get one of them uh, via some sort of a botanical supplier. Um, Amanita muscaria, they call it the narcoleptic mushroom, is not an um, uh, active experience. It is, again, uh, an experience that you engage in during some sort of a trance-type sleep. So you will be unconscious to the real world, the physical world, in taking a large dose of Amanita muscaria, whereas on psilocybin-containing mushrooms, you will still somewhat you know, be able to engage the real world on lower dosages, but at very higher dosages, it will also put you in more of a, a trance-like type mind state for a, a couple of hours. Now, the, um, and again, the entirety of the experience, the, the rise, peak, and, and uh, return to normal consciousness would be in the realm of several hours with the uh, psilocybin mushrooms, possibly up to eight or ten, depending on what you took and the the uh, dosage and strength. But um, th it's a very visual experience in comparison to something like cannabis, which largely will work upon the mind and body. the The visions that you will see are highly geometric, often containing uh, you know uh, audi audible hallucin hallucinations and um, often involving communication with seemingly spiritual realms or entities. And again, you want to know yourself first and you want to venture into the lesser waters before you go plunging into the greater waters. There are people who disagree with that approach and say just jump right in with both feet and take the heroic dose immediately. I am not an advocate of that. Uh, I know Terence McKenna sort of adv advocated that. I happen to disagree with his approach in that respect. I think for more experienced people, that's fine. I think that uh, you would not want, in many cases, I think that will scare people away who don't have enough open-mindedness and willingness to work upon themselves and their own you know, shadow aspects or the shadow self. I think for someone with a little bit of trepidation or hesitance, you would want to start off small and work your way up to the bigger dosage. Um, I think that's more prudent, quite frankly, and I think it's better advice. Um, I would say, you know, maybe the one place that that doesn't hold true, because I almost look at it as the dimethyltryptamine experience is practically all or nothing. That's not exactly true. You can have a non-immersive experience that is somewhat, you know, transformative, but with with DMT, you want the the full shebang, so to speak. And it can actually be difficult because of the method of 
uh, ingestion, which is smoking, unless people were, you know, actually had medical grade DMT and were going to take it intravenously, which I also don't really recommend because you want to be comfortable and that to me isn't a comfortable way of experiencing uh, a, a uh, spiritual helper. But um, when DMT is smoked, uh, it is active because it is inactive orally because of its chemical structure. Uh, the um, monoamine oxidase of the intestinal tract breaks it down and prevents it from entering the blood barrier if it is ingested orally. Therefore, you would need to take DM DMT with um, some type of an MAO inhibitor, a monoamine oxidase inhibitor, if it is not extracted in its base form from whatever plant material you would begin extracting it from. So um, DMT or dimethyltryptamine, another indole, binary ringed indole molecule that very, is very, very, very similar to serotonin or 5-HT. Serotonin is the neurotransmitter that is essentially responsible for our normal waking state of consciousness. When you ingest DMT, the serotonin gets pushed out of the neural pathways. DMT uh, latches into the uh, receptor sites and provides a Im completely immersive hallucinogenic experience or psychedelic or entheogenic experience in which the visual aspect is the most profound. There is auditory elements as well, but visually the real world, in, if you get enough of uh, the dosage into the, the, the bloodstream and into the bl blood-brain barrier, the immersive experience is total, meaning that the real world with um, uh, eyes open or closed goes away, so to speak. It is not there. You cannot interact at all with the real world. Uh, you are completely immersed in a geometric realm uh, that contains consciousnesses that you can communicate, learn from, etc. Very strange experience, strange beyond any words. Uh, you know, I could go and try to tell you my experiences, but they would all fail in attempt in their attempt to communicate the, the experience through words because it's so strange it cannot be even imagined. If you have not experienced it, you can not imagine it. It's not that anybody could try to tell you what it's like. I, I have a few images listed uh, to even begin to scratch the surface at attempting what the visuals you know, approach, but they don't even exactly depict it. Some of them get sort of close, the ones I chose, but um, I would say they do not depict it exactly, and it's almost impossible to uh, imagine. That's, and that's the way, I, the way I look at it is that, experience was so strange it most certainly did not come from my mind um, it was made possible by the carrier signal through the the substance the the helper spirit that I am communing with uh, in order to produce that experience that's that's why it was possible people say well can we get there on our own through meditation I would say uh, similar to uh, McKenna's um, a take on that, I would say if somebody got to the DMT experience entirely on their own, I'd be almost a little bit worried because, um, yes, meditation can put you in, you know, highly relaxed mind states that you can get some immersion similar to DMT, but I would say it is not the same as the, the entering of what people call the, the DMT space. And again, a breakthrough experience is different than any deep meditative experience I have ever had in my life. 
uh, a breakthrough DMT experience, you'll know that you're there. You'll know what the difference is. Um, but um, again, to talk about doing, getting to this level of consciousness on the natural, as they say, I think it 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 is possible to transform one's consciousness so that you're at such an elevated state of consciousness that you would not need the assistance of DMT or any other uh, psychedelic such as psilocybin or THC or LSD or any anything like that to remit to stay there in consciousness see people will say well you have to go back and revisit these realms constantly I would say no that's not necessarily true if you've truly transformed yourself if you've truly healed your worldview if you're healed you're healed and the medicine would not be required on an ongoing basis you would not be addicted to it or have to take it forever okay some people of are of that opinion that you have to or, or should go back and revisit it I would say if you that is your desire and you would want to then absolutely that is within your right but I would say at some point of transformation of the worldview that it would not be required to com continue to revisit that and I uh, differ and disagree with certain uh, you know uh, shamanic communicators in that capacity and you know that may make me unpopular in that regard so be it but um, I, I don't think anything is um, as far as uh, communicating in this realm or you know engaging in a substance such as this is eternally required or necessary okay once it has done the task at hand then I would say you can choose to participate in it or not but many people stop working with these substances out of fear of what they are basically being made to confront during the experiences and therefore they stop their work and do not go all the way to that level of truly transforming one's worldview and getting out of the fears you know associated with not changing their actions and behaviors and ultimately their thoughts so I want to talk about a form of DMT which is a, a known as a DMT containing analog known as ayahuasca many people will be familiar with this and um, uh, it has gotten a lot of press and a lot of uh, popularity over the last few years due to several documentaries made about it and uh, information uh, basically brought back from um, largely South America um, where people engage in ayahuasca and have for you know hundreds of generations but uh, ayahuasca is um, again it's a plant analog which means it contains uh, two active compounds or ingredients the first is DMT now DM the DMT component is not what is known as the ayahuasca vine and many people um, uh, confuse this and think it's the other way around that the ayahuasca vine is what provides the visionary experience and that is not the case the ayahuasca vine which is called uh, its scientific name is Bonasteriopsis copy okay Bonasteriopsis copy is the ayahuasca vine and that is the MAO inhibitor containing component of the ayahuasca a DMT analog okay um, that is the substance that will make 
DMT or dimethyltryptamine orally active if consumed orally. Okay, the DMT containing component can be anything that contains DMT in nature, and there's many, many things that contain it. The most popular usages in modern culture, because they have the higher concentration of dimethyltryptamine containing grass leaves, barks, I'll give you one of each. The leaf that is the most popular is called um, chakruna. That's the native name for it, but uh, its scientific name is Cicotria viridis, Cicotria viridis, or otherwise known as chakruna. Uh, this can be combined with Banisteriopsis copy to make traditional Amazonian uh, style or uh, Brazilian style uh, uh, ayahuasca. Okay, so um, that's one of the analogs. Another of ayahuasca is uh, combining. Um, the Banisteriopsis copy vine with um, Mimosa hostilis root bark, okay? And Mimosa hostilis has a very high concentration of dimethyltryptamine alkaloids in it as well. That's another ayahuasca analog. A third would be combining the vine with um, the, the Phalaris grass, okay? Uh, it's called Phalaris arundinacea or um, uh, I believe it's called re, um, canary grass, reed canary grass, something of that nature. Um, but if you combine uh, any of those three uh, DMT-containing plants with the ayahuasca vine, which is the MAO inhibitor, then you will have an ayahuasca experience, which is a slowdown of the very intense uh, pure DMT immersive experience and it will stretch it out it will it will make it more gentle and stretch it out over a period of four to five hours um, this is the traditional way that uh, the DMT substance has been ingested for visionary experience in indigenous tribal or shamanic cultures throughout time especially in the Western Hemisphere and that um, form of taking DMT as a visual, visual uh, visionary experience uh, through ayahuasca is uh, how the uh, indigenous peoples consider is the proper way to commune with the dimethyltryptamine uh, visionary component. And when asked how they understood out of all the species how to combine this vine, which is what makes the DMT orally active, the answer that many of the shamanic cultures and the, the shamans of their culture gave was, we were told to do this by the plants themselves, by the forest. We communed with them in our normal waking state of consciousness by simply coming into our you know, own presence and our own quiet state and listening and meditating. And uh, we received this information in those altered states of consciousness that they said, if you want a deeper immersive experience, then this is what you combine. These are the medicines to combine. And it is looked at as a sacred uh, indigenous medicine by many religions uh, throughout the world. Um, I believe the um, uh, Unio du Vegetal is one of the more widely known. They won a big court case 
that went up to the Supreme Court about the right to use this as their sacrament because they wanted to try to make it illegal in the United States. Sick people who think that they have a right to tell other people what they can and can ingest went so far as to try to take a sacrament away from a religious uh, group and say you can no longer engage in the traditional, traditional tribal sacrament that you've been engaged in, your people have been engaged in for thousands of years. I think that's, you know, just as insulting as them telling that any anybody else that they may not ingest anything into their own body. You know, but because it was for a religious purpose, it garnered a lot of media attention and they did finally win their court case uh, from the dominator's uh, you know, court ruling to finally say we're allowing you as a as a uh, religious sacrament to be an exception to our law. You know, but again, uh, that's all I really. Uh, there's one other psychedelic that I think uh, I want to cover, which is iboga. Okay, iboga, uh, tabernanth iboga. It's it's um, scientific name, and this is a uh, root bark that is traditionally. Um, communed with in the African continent, namely the uh, western region of Africa, the Gabon region. And this is a, a helper that definitely is can bring balance to the brain, especially when one is in a severe state of imbalance through the abuse of other substances. This is also why Tabernantha boga and its um, extracted form, which is uh, ibogaine, is not... Um, promoted in the United States and many people do not know about it because it can help if it is used properly and again iboga can be one of the more dangerous um, entheogenic compounds because at a certain dosage it can actually uh, kill you it can become poisonous and kill you you have to very carefully weigh out the dosage of a compound like that which is again why caution know yourself know what you are about to engage in do your research before attempting to to do anything as with with anything it's all about knowledge it's not about this again I'll reiterate it's not about a joyride it's not about escapism uh, it is about knowledge and transformation so uh, know what you're dealing with and in the case of the boga strong caution if you're w whatever attempt to engage in it you need to know exact kilogram milligram to kilogram ratios uh, of you know how much you weigh versus how many milligrams you're going to, of of active ingredient you're going to be putting into the body or it can kill you so um uh iboga can actually be and is can and is being used in treatment centers through uh it's again it's a derivative form known as ibogaine to treat addiction and again they don't want this known in the United States. It's actually illegal in the United States, of course, uh, because they hook people on methadone when they're addicted to harder street drugs such as heroin, uh, which is arguably 10 times worse than even doing the heroin itself because it's systemic. It gets into your bones. It's more addictive. It has a higher addictive profile than even heroin, and it's a very, very uh, much more difficult to even come off of than heroin is itself. So with that being said, I'm not going to go deeper into a breakdown of more of the uh, entheogens or psychedelics. I wanted to touch upon them. This is in no way meant to be any kind of an uh, extensive or all-encompassing presentation. I'm putting some of these out there for you to go and do your own research on and decide if one of these medicines would be uh, something that 
would be needed uh, based on the level of consciousness or imbalance, as the case may be, that anyone happened to be at. If you want to take a look at some of the visuals, I put three uh, very, um, very nice and cool and beautiful visuals uh, regarding what some of these realms uh, can look like in the mind's eye under a stronger dose of um, psilocybin or dimethyltryptamine uh, or ayahuasca. So um, the first one is image number 10, which has a lot of green and blue hues and a lot of spirals and is similar to fractal patterns. See, that is what some of these entheogens will do, is show you the fractal holographic nature of reality. This is the unified realm from which all consciousness arises. I would say this is the realm of the real, the truly real, not the Maya or the illusory realm that is the physical domain, the, um, the uh, physical matter that is uh, being imbued with vibratory energy and appears solid. This is the void or the, 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 uh, the womb, if you will, that we enter into through these um, uh, uh, spirit helpers and the carrier signals that they help us to um, engage and lock into to see the base version of reality. You know, this is the construct, so to speak. This is the, um, the holographic realm that then gets, um, infuses through the void, through this uh, actual um, geometric, the spiritual womb infuses the vibratory energy into this realm which we call the physical world and that's how it, it generates this seemingly physical holographic reality that we call the universe uh, i like the work that david ike has been doing on the nature of reality i like the work that david talbot did in his book the holographic uh, um, or what michael talbot i believe his name was uh, the holographic universe uh, I like the work that uh, Terence McKenna has done in explaining, uh, trying to verbally explain the experience in some of these realms. And I um, like Nassim Haramein's work with the void, the potential energy of the void. And another gentleman to check out when it comes to the unified field of consciousness is John Hagelin, who is a physicist, uh, um, uh, a cosmo uh, uh, theoretical physicist. I don't know if he's a cosmologist, but definitely a theoretical physicist that um, has talked about uh, not necessarily psychedelics, but the unified field level of consciousness and how that is the projector for the physical experience that we, day-to-day uh, -day experience that we live in. So um, a lot of this backed by hard science, but again, these are the helpers to get to the realm of realizing this, of showing it directly to yourself in a one-to-one -one experience it's gnosis. It's not theory. It's direct experience with that realm of the divine. And um, an, another image, slide number 11, if you're following on the slide, shows a um, depiction of what might be considered a being, a non-corporeal being or entity encountered in one of these realms. And yes, it does get that strange. Have I encountered uh, entities or beings similar to this? Uh, during the experience with D DMT? Absolutely. And it gets stranger than that. That, would I, I would say, would be mild 
if I encountered a being such as that. It gets even stranger. And people could say, oh, well, is it just geometries blending? You'll know if it's just geometries blending together, looking like a face, because they will attempt to communicate with you, most certainly. And again, I could go into all my experiences. They get very strange, most certainly. But um, it's, again, it's almost pointless because words would fail and it would be impossible to describe and it's also impossible to really describe what they're communicating because they don't communicate like us. It's almost nonverbal communication and it's often communication through geometric forms. So, you know, different people can decode it differently and it can actually be, uh, you know, that information can be taken into the real world and employed in, in different capacities. So it will be different for everyone. The key here is the existential doubt that it has the power to remove and therefore transform your understanding of reality as a result. Uh, one of the most accurate depictions that I've seen so far is image number 12. And uh, this is very similar to what an immersive DMT experience will produce. And I mean, you will be, that will be wrapped around you. <laughs> um, and it can get even stranger than that. Um, the uh, the um, motifs of the Aztec, the Maya, uh, other uh, Inca, other South American cultures, um, the Hawaiian motifs of the tiki idols, the tiki gods, etc. You will encounter these types of motifs very very often. Often you'll see the green motif, the the forest or woodland, the uh, green man motif comes up over and over again. Um, elves, fairies gnomes, all different types of uh, uh, entities, you know, um, descriptions of entities ascribed to different beings that are encountered in some of these realms. Uh, is it real? I would absolutely say that it is. Is it powerful? It is beyond powerful if you approach it the right way. Again, the set and setting being important. Setting meaning the actual physical surroundings, the physical location that you're going to choose to partake in such an experience. You should have a mod exercise a modicum of control over the environment you're going to do it in. Again, as I said, mindset is the first thing to consider, but then the actual physical setting that you're going to partake of whatever um, experience you're going to partake in, you want to make sure you're going to control that environment, you know, make it comfortable, uh, make sure there's no distractions or noise, as I would say, as quiet as possible, unless you prefer music. But... Um, uh, the setting can be as important as the mindset that the experience is approached from. And um, again, this is all about personal responsibility. You need to be responsible for your own actions. I'm not, again, advocating the irresponsible use. I'm advocating the responsible employment of, a sub of substances that can be powerfully transformative in human consciousness. Uh, it is all about the balance of the human brain, particularly if, again, you are of a left brain bent. Uh, these can help bring that devastation that has been done through the imbalance of the brain to the middle, to the center, to the point of balance, and to a point of healing. If, if, big if, it is approached with the proper mindset, okay, which is that sacred context that I'm talking about. The use of entheogens in a conscious, sacred context. And again, many people will disagree with that and say, go and use it however you want. Again, I feel that's foolish. I think there is a proper use and an abuse, 
there is a proper way to use a tool and there's a proper way to really screw things up using tools. So with that being said, it's all about self-respect as everything else comes back down to responsibility and respect. Okay? And we, those are two of the R's. The third R in the solutions that I talk about is remembrance. This can bring us back together if it is used wisely. Um, and ultimately, okay, it is about self-ownership. The, the prohibition effort has gone on for too long and needs to just be refused, refused. And people need to step forward and say, yes, we are going to experiment with our own consciousness. Yes, this is a human right. No, you are not going to jail anybody for doing it. And if you attempt to do so, we're going to put down that effort by whatever means we have to do to put it down. And that's the courage it's going to take to say no, because these psychopaths are not going to stop with their abusive, immoral laws. They're not going to just stop doing it and say, oh, we were mistaken, sorry. That's not going to happen where we're at. Believe me, I would love to see that happen, but unless more and more people educate cops as to what rights are and what they are not, don't expect to see that happen. If you continue to buy into the whole bull that this isn't a human right, to use your own consciousness as you will and to ingest whatever you will into your own body as long as it's not harming someone else, then you don't understand enough to, to rectify the wrongs that are being done by police and governments throughout the world. It's telling people what they can and can't put into their body. That's called slavery, ladies and gentlemen. When you say to someone else, you may not ingest this, that is a claim of ownership on their physical person, on their physical body, and that's called slavery. To tell someone, I'm telling you that's off limits for your consumption. Now again, that doesn't mean certain choices of what to put in the body would be not be bad ones. There are bad choices of what to put in the body. And again, I'm being discriminating here. I'm exercising discrimination and discernment okay it is not about harming oneself it is about working with the self okay working through the dark aspects of the psyche working through um, different encounters and experiences that can help us to come face to face with who we are and if we so choose then to change that for the better that's what this is about. And that is a human right to do that. And anybody telling you you may not do that needs to be thoroughly, thoroughly rejected and told, no, you are not going to stop me from putting what I will into my own body. The end. So we need a complete radical readjustment in our thoughts when it comes to all kinds of pro prohibitive laws about what we do and do not have a right to ingest. If it's your body and you own it and you're not the slave of someone else, you have a right to ingest what you will into it, again, providing you're not harming someone else. So if you don't have a right to take as much alcohol and pour it down the throat of another person as you want, but if you're, it's going into your own mouth, then that's fine. Do I have a right to dose someone else with a hallucinogen? No, because th they didn't agree to it. That's coercion. That's not right. 
That's a wrong. But to take it into my own body of my own free will, of my own accord, not being coerced, that's my human right. So I, I think I will leave it there because we're running out of time. I'm sorry to anyone holding on the line that I didn't get to calls this week. How about this? We'll do an all-call-in show on the topic of entheogens next week. Entheogens and psychedelics, anything you want to call in to talk about, questions that you may have, and we could even open up the line for some experience reports. Next week on What on Earth is Happening, we'll continue the discussion on true sacraments, entheogenic substances that are helper guides and spirits to help us to transform our consciousness for the betterment of ourselves and all. That's all the time we have for on this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'll see you here next week.